Hello and welcome to Unsuckable. I'm your host, Manuel Fede. And yes, we're back with another episode. Um, joining me as always is Filippo, who has made a really interesting bet at the start of the season. We've talked about this last week. Filippo, we had a very lively discussion about this um, before the podcast started. Erling Haaland is going to have less goals than Gabriel Jesus by the end of the season. Mm -hmm. You still feeling confident? It's 2-0 Haaland right now, but I'm keeping the bet. It's just a short-term pain. I'm going for the long-term. The season has 38 games in the Premier League. I'm still going to wait on it. Also, most fantasy fans agreed with me. I know a lot of them dropped Gabriel Jesus, but he was the one that was the most picked for the Premier League fantasy, I believe. But yeah, I'm Arsenal, sticking to lots that. Lots of Arsenal fans out there. That they too. Don't know, that they too. don't know any better. No, um, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I'm still going to stick to that, to Gabriel Jesus having more goals than Haaland. Again, again, just to make it clear, Gabriel Jesus is not a better player than Erlen Haaland. I just mm. think he's going to get more goals this season. Mm. All right. We'll see how that works out. Um, Adrian, how's it going, buddy? It's going well. Yeah. Josh and I were just the, uh, you know, it was like the kids sitting at the dinner table while mom and dad argued prior to the podcast. So <laughs> that was pretty fun. But yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens across all competitions. I think Haaland will win in Premier League. It depends on injuries, right? It depends on injuries. And also, like you guys were talking about prior, we don't have a lot of evidence for Gabriel Jesus at center forward consistently as the main man. So that's sort of the anomaly in all of this. But anyways, I'm stepping out of this conversation now because let's hear from Josh. He and I were a little too quiet prior. Yeah, Josh, how's it going? Yeah, it's good. I just uh, I was a little late. I, we were going to start and then, uh, and then I had someone come to the door. So I just came in and like I usually do when I come in, I just sit there and I don't say much and I listen to you guys going after some topic. It was interesting. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna think that Jesus is gonna have a decent season. I would say like 15 goals for him is probably a pretty solid season. I don't think he'll outscore Holland. That's my quick little input. But I mean, regardless, it was still entertaining listening to you guys. Manuel definitely had his notes out and uh, intact was in defense mode. It was, it was entertaining. Me and Adrian had fun. <laughs> 15 goals would be his best goal scoring. Uh, season at in the Premier League so far for Gabriel Jesus. So that'd be very good for him. Um, probably not enough to beat Haaland unless there's some season-ending injury. But we'll see. Uh, maybe they, there's some sort of miracle for Filippo. Um, but guys, speaking of goals, um, someone who doesn't, didn't score very many goals in the Premier League or not as many as many people expected, um, Josh is Timo Werner and he is now returned to the Bundesliga to RB Leipzig and I know you're a big Borussia Dortmund fan um, how do you feel about Leipzig adding a top striker like that I think this is the best thing that Timo Werner could have done I, I I remember and I know you do too Manuel what a clinical finisher he was what confidence he had he was such he's one of my favorite players at the time to watch for RB Leipzig he scored 28 goals in a season it's obviously the reason he got his move to Chelsea and I just feel like he just kind of became a bit of like a like a meme he just nothing went for him the finishing the the confidence everything turned apart yes he had some success in terms of winning silverware but at the end of the day like he, he, he looked miserable he looked sad like it didn't look like it was an environment where he could have ever recaptured that form so where does he go he goes exactly back to where it is and and I'm curious to get your take on this Manuel because you have a good understanding mm -hmm. as well with with RB Leipzig I I think there was options out there. I mean, I heard Juve was interested as well, but I kind of thought in the back of my mind, okay, he was at a club like Leipzig where he thrived. Then he went over to Chelsea and in the Premier League comes the media and all this stuff. And whether he could handle it or whether he was just sick of it, he had the other options. And going to a club like Juve could have brought that media attention as well. I think Newcastle was rumored a little bit. Uh, even some of the bigger clubs in Germany, like if he would have ended up at like a, a Dortmund or a, a Bayern, the media presence there is a lot. So he went back to a club where he's comfortable with that's on an upward trend and in probably an area where the media won't be at him near as much where he can maybe just focus. So for every reason, even even the deal itself, I think that Leipzig got a bargain to bring Timo Werner back and I'm expecting some pretty good things from him this season. Yeah, the deal is 20 million plus 2 million, uh, 20 million plus 10 million, sorry. Uh, so turn 20 million up front, 10 million in, in add-ons, performance-based add-ons. Um yeah, I mean, I've, I felt for Timo Werner in the Premier League. Um, you know, he's the kind of striker that that had so many goals chalked off um, by VAR and offside calls and and didn't really strive in, in that system. 
that um, Chelsea have put together. Is Chelsea a little bit of a, of a striker graveyard? Um, I mean, they, they sold Lukaku back to, or loaned Lukaku back to Inter, right? And then Timo Werner is sent off uh, back to, to Leipzig. And ha- a striker hasn't really worked out um, at that club for in a long, long time. And Manu, Manu, just I don't want to interrupt you, but just rem, rem, just remember too, if we go back in time, the same happened in Chelsea with Chevichenko, mm, uh, and Fernando, Fernando Torres. Torres. Yeah, so it's not yeah. just one. I think Drogba's and numbers are another. actually the same as Torres' numbers. So I guess Didier Drogba was an anomaly right there, <laughs> the only one. Yeah, it makes you wonder too, like why is it that so many strikers just struggle at that club and across so many different coaches as well. Um, it's, it's a really interesting phenomena. I think Timo Werner has to take some of the blame too, because, you know, some, one of the things that has been driving me up the wall because he's done it for the German national team too, is he just doesn't, he just doesn't time his runs really well. And I said this on the game pressing podcast as well. It's like, that's a, that's a teachable skill. <laughs> Learning when to break the line is a teachable skill. So maybe Domenico Tedesco can finally teach him that. But I think, you know, for him personally, it's, it's a good decision to go back. Um, he signs a long-term contract. I think that ends his adventure abroad. I don't think he's going to go anywhere anytime soon uh, again. Um, he's already Leipzig's record goal scorer. He's probably going to add to that. Yeah, so a good move overall. I mean, like, the question though then, guys, is what's Chelsea going to do next? I mean... Um, Tuchel wants, wants Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and Josh, you know Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang quite well. It's an odd one because he left Arsenal, went to Barca. Barca can't register anyone. Um, and then all of a sudden, he's now maybe going to be able to go to to Chelsea. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting one. I'm literally in the middle of watching the Arsenal documentary right now. So I don't know if you guys have, have watched that, but I'm at the part where Aubameyang's getting shifted out the door. I, I know he has his, his disciplinary issues. He had him at Dortmund. He's had him at Chelsea or at uh, at Arsenal. They've kind of followed him around, but he's always scored. I mean, even after leaving Arsenal, the second half of the season at, Lone, at Barcelona last year, he, he looked very good. It almost seems unfair that he's going to be shifted out the door from Barca. But, I mean, Barca, I think, has peed off just about every neutral fan out there. If I'm Chelsea, I would look to bring him in. He's got experience in the Premier League. He knows Thomas Tuchel. He's still in go- could be a good goal scorer at this level. And it's a short-term project before Chelsea can figure out what to do with a striker that they can actually use going forward. I mean, I like Kai Havertz. I don't think he's the type of striker that will get you that that 15-plus goals. But I think Aubameyang coming into this system could potentially do that. Uh, but like I said, it, it'd be a short-term option. I mean, even if you could get him on loan for the season or sign him on a one, two-year deal, like I, I think it's it'd be smart. It's just there's always a little bit of baggage that comes with Aubameyang. But regardless of what happened at Arsenal, and in, in my opinion, whether he's got those disciplinary issues when it comes to being late, he's always a good personality to have in the dressing room. It seems like players have always liked him. He he does pick his fights sometimes with coaches and whatnot. But all in all, I, I think it's worth a risk if Chelsea are desperate and need to bring someone in. Tuchel really likes him. Um, Filippo, when Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang joins Chelsea, he will score more goals than Gabriel Jesus. Not with that team. <laughs> you put Erlen Erl- Haaland in Chelsea, he's going to struggle as a center forward. That that place just doesn't work for center forwards, man. Um, I'm sorry, but it, he can go there. It'll be good. Chelsea does need forwards, especially uh, since Pulisic or Ziyech might leave also. They need more options there. So, again, uh, good luck to him. No, here's, an interesting, here's an interesting question, though. Like, with Burley now the owner of Chelsea, do you think they're really going to send, sell Pulisic? I think they're rather going to fire Thomas Tuchel than like, selling one of their big I think he, Yeah, I think, I think he doesn't want to sell Pulisic, but clearly there's been reports, and we saw the tweet from his dad a couple months yeah. ago, Pulisic kind of is unhappy and wants to go somewhere. Uh, but again, he's under contract. There's not much he can do about that. And I, I do think Chelsea's going to do everything they can to hold Pulisic for the wrong reasons, obviously. Yeah, I mean, this is also why they signed Gabriel Jesus for it. Uh, sorry, Gabriel Slolina for all this money is, you know, the passport helps. Um, I think, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see because uh, that the reports coming out of Thomas Tuchel not trusting Pulisic is... 
I mean, I'm, I'm just curious how you see that, Filippo, because like that has, in my opinion, the potential to be a, a huge bombshell and something that could maybe even cost Tuchel's job. Say that again about Pulisic? The fact that Tuchel doesn't trust Pulisic. Yeah, we don't know. Um, you see, I don't buy that doesn't trust. I think he doesn't rate Pulisic to be a starter, but Pulisic is always the first guy off the bench. He put him in many different positions last season. I think he trusts him. He just doesn't rate Pulisic ahead of the guys that Chelsea has. I don't know if that report was kind of accurate. I went over it in, in the channel. Uh, but, but yeah, it's honestly, it, it's not even, and I hate when Americans do this. They like to blame Tuchel, right? And they like to call him crap. Tuchel's one of the best managers in the world. That's the first thing to make it clear. It's not Pulisic's fault. It's not Tuchel's fault. It's not Chelsea's fault. It just didn't work out. It hasn't worked out. So maybe it's just time to move on. If not, he's just going to be a role player for Chelsea. He'll come in some games, rotate. When there's injuries, he'll come in. But, but that's what it is. Uh, I saw that there is interest from Newcastle. Uh, of course. <laughs> of course. Newcastle apparently has a informal agreement with the top six clubs for them to let them know if any of their players is available. And and they said, and Pulisic was one of them that they're interested. So that could happen. We'll see. Honestly, the Pulisic situation, I just kind of like follow it through. But we've been hearing that he's going to leave for so long and it doesn't happen. It almost seems like he's trapped in the club. And that... That tweet from his father months ago almost seemed like a cry for help, right? <laughs> That's mm-hmm. what it sounded like. Yeah, I just can't see um, the Burley family selling Pulisic. It's just, I think they'd rather fire the head coach than do that. Um, we'll see how it turns out, I guess. Um, it's very interesting. I guess the, the question is, other than Newcastle, Filippo, for you, where would you send him? Uh, that's a good question, right? Uh, I think Pulisic, personally, I would want him out of the Premier League. I think it's a much more physical league, and he should go to somewhere, maybe the Serie A, La Liga, just because you know how he is in terms of his physicality and injuries. Uh, I wouldn't be opposed to going to Newcastle. I mean, they played Miguel Almiron as the right winger in the first game. Pulisic can definitely start over Miguel Almiron. So... I, I personally, I don't know. I just think it's what you said a, a couple months back, and I, I actually think that's what Pulisic should do as well. He needs to take a step back. And I saw many Americans also calling for him to go to AC Milan. I don't know why. I, I don't think they understand. One, AC Milan has good wingers. I don't know if he would start there. The mm-hmm. second thing is AC Milan can't really afford how much he makes and how much Chelsea would want for him. To be honest, probably only Premier League teams can afford. Uh, his value is going to be inflated because he's in the Premier League and only they can afford unless he takes a pay cut or Chelsea accepts less money. So probably within the Premier League teams, I'm okay with him going to Newcastle if that were to happen. Uh, West Ham also does need forwards. So I think West Ham would be another good option. And they're better. Uh, Newcastle is much better than before, but West Ham's a good team. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I saw somewhere on on Twitter suggest that he he meet, should go to maybe um, the Bundesliga or Italy, and I'm just thinking he's not good enough for the teams that can afford him, and he's too expensive for the rest of them. And so I just can't see see that happening unless he takes a huge pay cut, right? Him, him, and Chelsea. You mean they both would have to take a loss to make it happen? That yeah, would be exactly. Because, like, let's be honest here, Bayern Dortmund and um, Leipzig are not going to take him on. Uh, and and the rest wouldn't want to do it financially. So, that's that. Um, yeah. Let's move on to the next one here. Uh, unless, Adrian, you have some sort of opinion about where Pulisic wants to go or should go or what should happen with him. Not really. I think you guys covered it at all. But yeah, I totally agree that he needs to sort of take a step back and go to a almost like a Sevilla level type team um, Mm -hmm. somewhere where he can get regular playing time, but he would still do well in a technical environment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think that he should look into going to Spain. And who's to say that he hasn't looked into it? But like you guys spoke about, it's that whole pay cut type thing, which is sort of the thing that handcuffs a lot of players that are going from Premier League sides to sides that couldn't absolutely could not afford to have them. So yeah, I have nothing really to add as far as what you guys already covered. 
So according to my U.S. men's national team Twitter feed, at least United is now the best team in the world. So he, maybe he should go there. No, no, no. Look, there, <laughs> there's no way he fits that high-intensity Jesse Marsh direct pressing system. That That's not Pulisic, man. I know that people want him to go to Leeds because then you can watch Brendan, Tyler, Jesse, Pulisic on the same team. He doesn't. He would start for Leeds, sure, but it, it's not really the best for Pulisic. Also, with those hamstrings that he's had, the issues he's had in the past, I don't think that system that runs players to the ground is the ideal for Christian Pulisic. Hmm. Right. Okay, so, um, boys, do we want to talk about Erling Haaland a little bit more? Adrian, what do you think? Pretty impressive start. Yeah, it was an incredible start. Um, I think that he looked incredibly scary, and the rest of the Premier League should be nervous whenever they come up against them because that sort of X factor that Man City were missing in the box and that we all talked about and they need that striker. They have it now and they have probably, if not the most lethal, one of the most lethal strikers in the world. And that threat that they had running in behind, that's something that you never saw from Manchester City when they were playing. It was always they would work it down through the wings or whatever. But now they can finally make use of those killer, killer through balls from Kevin De Bruyne for Haaland to run onto. And the way that he eats up yardage on the pitch is just terrifying so my god i feel bad for defenses in the premier league right now go ahead philippo no and can we talk about pep's adjustment how the four in in possession manchester city were playing a two 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 three one formation in possession did you guys see that Mm. that he made he tucked in the fullbacks right so the width would come from the wingers he kind of sort of adjusted the way and he also pushed Someone as I think it was Kevin De Bruyne almost as a 10, and then Hodri and Gurugan became the dual pivots as eights with the fullbacks lined up with them through the middle. It was kind of crazy of how he adjusted the team. It's kind of complicated to explain it in the podcast. You need visuals. I'm sure some people have seen it, but it was a genius move by Pep Guardiola and it worked wonders for Manchester City and it got the best out of Haaland. And also, if you have a player like Erlen Haaland, you do need to try to make a system that will function, not really, not necessarily around him, but that you'll be able to feed him so you can get the best out of him, right? Uh, and that was quite interesting. And I think if you guys didn't notice that in the game, y'all should look at it. It was pretty smart of Pep. That and also playing Phil Foden on the wing. And I know that a lot of people make fun of Jack Grealish, etc. But if he does find his form and you have Grealish and Foden on the outside, plus Kevin De Bruyne playing behind Holland, that is... I mean, he will not be short on service, so he will have plenty of opportunities to score more goals than Gabriel Jesus. That is for sure. Uh, back to Gabriel Jesus. Um, yeah. At I, this I, point, I, you guys are just picking on my take. Just leave it alone. Let's wait and see what happens about Gabriel Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, do you want to weigh into that as well? You know, we might as well, right? How do you see uh, Haaland's debut in the Premier League? I mean, it was impressive. I, I've I've seen him do it at Dortmund. He's just he's just that he's just that I don't know. He's there's I haven't seen a striker quite like him with his size, his physicality, his speed, his clinical finishing. And the big difference to me when when I watch a striker and I'm like, you know what, this is a striker on form is like you could kind of mention it is it's just the runs. It's the reason that Timo Werner just can never make. I don't know if it's just overthinking it when he was in the Premier League because he made just incredible runs when he was at Leipzig to get himself in, in spaces. And it's like every single time he did in the Prem, he didn't make it work. And Erling Holland just knows exactly when to release himself. He trusts his body. He can always have that step behind to beat off a defender. And he just looks like he's going to fit in and score a ton of goals for Manchester City. And you'd expect that. This is a team that blossomed without an out-and-out number nine. And now you got the best up-and-coming one in the world. It's going to be a recipe for success. Uh, and I would be terrified to take on City if I was any other team in the Prem. Except for maybe Liverpool. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch what's what's going to happen. And then I mean to make matters worse, they take him off and bring on uh, Alvarez. <laughs> yeah, it's a scary, scary ta- uh, attacking wise. Um, I guess Premier League over on match day one then uh, with City City winning the title. Uh, congrats, um, Filippo. Man United. When I when when are they going to sign a player? Is it actually going to happen, or is this just like a perpetual rumor mill where they where they have you no know, negotiations and they like want a player and the player says quickly no or the club says no? Um, 
I mean, I, not to be flippant, but Marco, I Nard- wanted- Marco Nardovich rejected them. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, I, I tweeted this, I think yesterday. It was like growing up in the 2000s, Manchester United were a club that everyone looked up to. Almost like the way people look up to Bayern of how well managed they are in the 2000s, right? In 90s and 2000s with Sir Alex. And then if you went to me back in the 2000s and you told me when I was a teenager that Manchester United would be this mess and this meme of a club that they are today, I was like, I, can't, I don't believe you, man. But it's literally what they've become. No one wants to play for them. Everyone wants to leave. The players don't want to be there. Everything just doesn't work. And they've had good coaches the past 10 years or so, post-Sir Alex, and, and nothing seems to work. They spent money. Just nothing works. And Adrian just made a video about it, so he's probably even better to talk about this. But it, I don't know. As a United fan, it's just very depressing to see. It's kind of weird for me in my lifetime, and this is a little bit personal. When I grew up in the 2000s, I was, I still am a Palmeiras and Manchester United fan. And Palmeiras were going through a crap phase. They got relegated in Brazil. It was horrible. And Manchester United was winning a lot. Premier League, Champions League. Now it's switched, right? I have Palmeiras, and we're going to maybe talk a little bit about it later, winning two Libertadores, leading the league in Brazil, and then Manchester United, the complete crap show that we've been seeing for years. Just something that happened to me in person. But Adrian, um, you did a video about Manchester United, so you're into that right now. Yeah, definitely. And it's just what's shocking is the incompetencies at every level. Um, granted, it's sort of a trickle-down effect because you have owners that are just interested in you know getting their dividend payouts <laughs> you know, around 100 million or so every year that they get that they pull out of the club that could be going towards recruitment, etc. And then they have all their favorite guys that they just keep promoting within the club guys who might not necessarily be the best fit for, you know, a sporting director job or something like that. Instead of going out and getting a Luis Campos, I mean, we saw what he's done at PSG, they already look more serious. Or uh, a Michael Edwards or something who was at Liverpool formerly, regardless, getting someone who actually is a specialist in that job instead of promoting from within. I mean, they had Ed Woodward go all the way through the club into like football decision-making roles, which is just insane. So you have that and it just continues to trickle down. It goes to recruitment. It goes to everything. And now you have this manager who's a great manager. Ten Hag is a brilliant manager, but he's handcuffed in a sense. And there's incompetency on the pitch as well. You, you're still playing McTominay in 2022, which is just wild. I mean, I'm not a, you know, an analytics <laughs> person who who just looks at analytics and that's how he judges a player. I like to have a little bit of both. There's the eye test and the analytics, but you combine those two things for McTominay and it's still just not good enough to be a starting central midfielder. It's shocking. The guy can't string passes together and they've been dying for a six for years, years and years and years. So it's just all these things that are finally compounding. Now their stocks are going way down. Now maybe it's going to hurt the wallet. Apparently Old Trafford is in a decrepit state in certain areas and needs updating. So that's about a billion pounds that they'd have to spend there. So it's just getting insane at Manchester United right now. And uh, I feel for the United fans um, like Filippo on a human level. I do feel for them. But yeah, they. Uh, it feels like, you know, those words from Regnick from April where he said that this is a club that needs heart surgery. Open heart surgery is the equivalent of what Manchester United needs. And they take Regnick and they put him in a firefighter role as a manager, which is not his forte. Like clearly, as we know, Manuel, he's a, he's a club builder mm. and that's his, where he's excellent. And then they fire him from the consultancy role that he had. And it's like, well, what are we doing? This was one person who could actually help you turn this club around, but well, you're not interested. Fired him. Exactly. Fired him, right? Exactly. There's no interest in actually improving. It's just, let's get rid of this guy. We'll keep Murto and Arnold. Arnold and all these other characters behind the scenes that may not be the best fit for the role. And on top of that, we won't give them the money to buy anyone except for, you know, Frankie de Jong. Apparently they're willing to pay 85 million, but Frankie de Jong rightfully so wants nothing to do with Manchester United right now because it's chaos. And the question is, how do you get out of this? And it seems like the only answer is a new ownership manual. Wow. But who's going to sell an asset like that if it makes money? 
that's it. And so they're sort of Manchester United is being held hot hostage in a sense by the Glazers. So the only way now there has been some talks about a consortium that could, you know, take over, but you hear this every year. And mm. the bottom line is, is so long as the Glazers are still able to take out their 80 million per year or whatever it is in dividends to pay out all, you know, the entire family and all the other shareholders, they're not going to sell. So it's, I can't expect any change anytime soon. You hear all these rumors about players they could bring in. Sergei Milinkovic-Savic every single season. I'm sure, Filippo, you're sick of hearing about those rumors. I think that Milinkovic-Savic is just a made-up player to sort of bait United fans into not harassing them. He's to a sign football anyone. manager player. Everyone, everyone knows him in football manager, but no one has seen him in real life yet. That's the truth of Savage. But, but again, yeah, Manchester United, there's there's really no hope in the short term. That's That's the best way to put it. Because like you said, they're profitable. The owners are making money. They, they, if you tell them the club is a mess, they're like, "Looks all right to me. I'm making money." It's like the paycheck hasn't changed, so why change it, right? Yeah, it's it, it, it's. I know you guys are all suffering, but when I'm making a couple million every year off of it, you guys got to understand business is business. <laughs> so, <laughs> why would I stress on it if it's working? I actually wonder because, like, this is such a. Um symbol of american ownership um you know when it comes to certain owners of course the fenway group is a bit different because they also don't spend a lot of money you know they want to they want to they want to break even every year as well but they do it in a very smart analytical way but i actually almost wonder if this is what's going to be in store for chelsea and you guys what do you guys Um, think you mean like long term because i think it's a possibility it's a possibility they could enter I think it is at the end of the day, apples and oranges, right? Different. It, yeah. It's not like every American owner is the same thing, right? Liverpool's American owned, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. But it's Fenway, right? It's like it's a sports group. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes there with uh, Chelsea. Uh, it's a possibility for sure. Chelsea fans should be a little concerned. It is a possibility, but we'll see. Uh, the thing with the American owners is, if it's making money and giving him some profits. He's not going to care. But if it starts to make him lose money, you yeah. could see him care or sell or sell. See, but until different then, than, than what it was with Abramovich. Yeah, because it was just with him it was just weird. Um, <laughs> let's not even get into him again. It was just weird. He was just putting money that he didn't care about profit. That's the thing. Well, I think with Abramovich is just he had he has, I should say, so much money that and he did genuinely want to see Chelsea win. He wanted to be associated with a successful mm-hmm. club and he had so much money to burn that, you know, he was OK with um, it's sort of like the opposite problem. He has so much to burn and he wants the club to do well, whereas the American ownership seems to have money to burn, even though it was a highly leveraged takeover, which we forget. It was just d- pulling debt to buy a club basically um they just want it for money making purposes whereas abramovich sort of saw that i can put money into it and hopefully get some out of it but i want the club to do well ultimately well because it was to increase his image and the image of the people that he was working for um that's true that is also true there was some other uh sort of you go go down the sports washing side of things but uh anyway this I think this is where it's so different. And like as you said, like what was the takeover with Chelsea? One point three five billion. Yeah, it was it was somewhere in that in that sort of uh, range. Three point five billion. It was a it was a lot of money. I don't have the exact number in front of me. I, I wrote an article at the time about it, but you, that money is those kind of owners don't um, like they expect that money to come back, which. I think is is fascinating. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see. I guess, um, Josh, I haven't heard from you in a while. Do you have any thoughts on all of this? Uh, not anything else that you guys pointed in. It's 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 fascinating, and and I like that you pointed that out about uh, Roman Bromovich, though, because and everything aside, I mean, I I truly do believe like what you guys said is he was in it to make the club successful, and that's exactly what you saw. I mean. When following Chelsea for for his era there, I mean, he had so many turnovers of managers and players. Like he always wanted to find a way to be successful, and he flipped the script so many different times. But 
whatever you want to say about them, they won. I've seen them win a couple of Champions League, a couple of Europa League, some league titles, league cups, FA cups. They won pretty much everything there is to win in the game. And uh, it's, it's in my opinion, a lot of it due to him and that, and that takeover. So, I mean, it's an interesting topic, and I'm curious to see under new leadership what Chelsea are going to do this season because it's going to be a tough one. I think if they could get into the top four, it'd probably be a pretty decent season, but there's definitely no guarantees. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And then, of course, it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen with Manchester United as well at the same time. Um, yeah, I, I think I think there is some sort of foreboding on what you know, what Chelsea could become by looking at at United, but it might also turn out very differently. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right, make your first bet up to $1,000 and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, the same game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props. Your betting options feel endless. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TBPN. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Let's switch gears here, guys. Um, the MLS All-Star Week. It's a fun event. Um, I was actually thinking of going, but then the Rona got me, so I had to stay home. But um, what did you guys make of it, Josh? What do you think of the MLS All-Star game? I thought it was fun. I mean, I, I liked it. I've always watched the MLS All-Star game for as long as I can remember. I remember sit like years ago at my old, my parents old house sitting in there when uh Bayern took him on they just signed Lewandowski uh and it, it was it was entertaining and I think there was a there was a dirty ch- challenge and I think Pep got all frustrated I think I remember that one pretty good I remember them taking on Juve Roma like it was always fun but it was always just kind of like I mean it is still entertainment value but it's almost like there's more at stake now when they when they took it tr- turned it into this basically MLS versus League of Mexi showdown it's uh it's pride on the line uh, Liga Maxi has been looking for years at MLS coming in its rearview rear mirror and after the uh, last matches between the U.S. and Mexico, as well as finally the Seattle Sounders winning the CONCACAF Champions League. They already won the last All-Star game. There was like, I don't know, it just seemed like there was a little something on the line. There were some mm-hmm. pretty pretty hard tackles. Like It seemed like a pretty competitive match to me. I really enjoyed it. Glad to see that MLS won. Uh, I think if that's always been the issue to me with All-Star games is, yes, they can be entertaining, but if you're able to find a way to make it entertaining, but also get like that competitive edge to it, that's what the NHL did when they turned it to three and three and they put a reward. Like it just makes it that much more entertaining to watch. I really enjoyed it. I liked it. And uh, I hope that they find a way to continue to do it in a way that makes it competitive for the viewer. Yeah. I think they're the big issue. I remember that one with Bayern. Uh, I think the issue was that the MLS all-stars viewed it as a competitive fixture and Bayern kind of th- thought of it as a like um, exhibition match, right? <laughs> and then they lost it. And, but also they, they actually extra brought on all these world cup winners in the second half. Um, we were not match fit at all at this point. And it just turned out to this, this kind of a little bit of a disaster um, for them. Um, and they never came back to do it again. Um, yeah, Pep, Pep wouldn't shake his hand. I can't remember who the manager yeah, was for the MLS, but um, yeah. he didn't know what to do. He put his hand out to shake Pep's hand, and Pep would just scream at him. He's like, "Get me out of here! Like, I'm not doing this again." And it was actually kind of pretty bad for Bayern because of obviously they have like these huge links to Adidas. Uh, Adidas owns a share in the club, right? And um, Portland is where Adidas are based in the United States, and it was supposed to be this thing where Bayern were actually going to be even more engaged with MLS and. <laughs> It just seems to have backfired a lot. I think this, what do you guys make of this format overall? Um, just to bring the other guys in as well, because there has been, there was talk um, during the MLS All-Star Week and Don Garber saying that with the the reformatted Leaks, Leaks Cup, right? Which is sort of uh, becomes, is sort of becoming like the Europa League with um, all Liga Mekis teams and all MLS teams taking part doing an, an August long tournament next year. 
um, that they might be thinking of a format change. And Josh, maybe to start with you, because, you know, we just chatted about this, but then also bring in Philippo and Adrian. What is, if they do change the format, what would you like to see? You're talking specifically for the Leagues Cup or the All-Star game? The All-Star game. I, I heard, uh, I think it was, I think it was Herc uh, was talking about it. And I don't know exactly what I, I'd want to see because I, I heard, I think his his uh, idea was finding a way to do both in terms of bringing in like a big club to get attention, but combining the league. So I think he said his idea, which is an interesting one, I'll get your guys' take on it, was grab the All-Stars from the, the, the league-wide tournament. So whoever, I guess, the All-Star was of that cup competition, the League's Cup, come together to make a all-star squad between Liga Mexi and MLS. And then that team plays a European juggernaut. Now mm. for me, I, I don't know. I, I don't really, I don't really like that. I feel like it just goes right back to uh, what the all-star game was before. I like the fact that this all-star game felt competitive. You got to see the best of Liga Mexi versus the best of MLS. There was that competitive edge. It was an entertaining watch. I just feel now you took away that edge because you're making them play together. You build up a very similar type of all-star team that would just simply be through the MLS or Liga Mexi. And then you bring in a European juggernaut that doesn't really care about the game that will play the reserves that will only play the good players for a little bit. I So I don't really like the idea. I don't know how they're going to do it, but I would like to see a little bit of the same. I, I don't know if that's possible to be able to do it, but I like the all-star game the way it is. I think they, after seeing these last two years, I think that they're going to go in a different direction. They're going to see a lot of interest kind of die off or at least like, from watching from a competitive neutral point because yes it's always cool to see a european club come in but in reality i mean watching friendlies can sometimes be a drag because they don't care it's about getting their team Mm -hmm. match fit it's about getting young players integrated i've went to a game at bmo between benfica and psg and i was excited to see zlatan and all these big names and they didn't even show up and the one when when they were subbed on later in at the like 75th minute they didn't even try so that's just my personal experience i'll see what the boys are saying yeah what do you think Filippo? So my first thought on the All-Star game is I don't care about it and I don't hate it. If there's no other interesting soccer game on, I'll watch it. And for the most part, the other years, I did watch it. I didn't watch it this time because Palmeiras was playing the exact same time of the game. And it was the Libertadores quarterfinals. Uh, I think the goal right there, it's mostly... There, there's So the most watched league in the United States is Liga Mekis and then the Premier League after. I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to bring all these Liga Emekis fans that are in the U.S. mostly because I've talked to many people in Mexico asking them. Most of the ones in Mexico don't care too much about this All-Star game or actually don't even like it. But it looks like the American Liga Emekis fans really enjoyed it and the ratings were good, especially on Univision, which is the Spanish-speaking narration and commentary. So I, I think that's the goal that they have. And I think in terms of that, that is a good way to bring them in, make them care about the league, right? And then we can even talk about something that Manuel joked about before, how the MLS All-Star team had more Mexican players than Liga Mekis All-Star team. Is that correct? Yeah, it's correct. <laughs> so there you have it. So it's clear what MLS is trying to do. I think that's what matters more. They're trying to bring in these fans because if they get these fans to like the league, it's a major boost in audience, money, everything, popularity. Uh, the All-Star game itself, it, it's just an exhibition game, right? And that's how people should face it. It's not really meant to be a competitive match. MLS and Liga Mackeys, whoever beats each other, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't say one league is better than the other. Uh, it's really just an exhibition match, which if you have no other game to watch, it's it's fun to just sit down, relax, and watch it late at night. This time was on a Wednesday. Uh, that's all I have to say about it, right? I wouldn't really change my schedule or my life to go watch it. But if I'm home on a Wednesday night, there's no soccer game going on, I'm putting it on. And um, what I'm would you change in it would, if you would have to change the format? What would you change it to? Well, I, I wouldn't change the all-star format at all. I would just keep it how it is right now to gain popularity with Liga Mekis. Right now, I wouldn't change it. Now, you're talking about that or the League's Cup? Because those are different topics. Well, so the League's Cup is the Don Garber mentioned because of the League's Cup, they might have to change the format. Okay. the I don't know about the format of the All-Star game. Uh, personally, I prefer the way it is with Liga Mekis clubs instead of a, a big European giant or or East versus West. Because there's no rivalry. We, I kind of like it, Liga Mekis, to bring in the fans. But again, whatever they do, I don't care too much. It's an exhibition game. I don't think it, it's something that will 
be a driving force for the league. And also, if you look at other all-star games of the biggest leagues in the U.S., the NBA all-star game and all-star events, the interest has been lower than in the past, right? Mm. People don't care about it as much. The pro ball in NFL, people like to watch it, but it's not the most popular event in NFL, right? It's just there to add some value, but it's really not a big deal. Now, the League's Cup, I do have one thing that I wanted I wanted it to have. I sort of wanted it to connect some way with the common ball teams. I don't know. Um, the League Cup champion versus the Libertadores champions or the CONCACAF Champions League champions versus the Libertadores, something like that would be, I think that would be interesting because there's the so much- World Cup. Uh, the Club World Cup, no one cares, and they usually don't face each other. But that's um, also going to change in format. Maybe, it, and I hope it does, because the Club World Cup is crap right now. There's not enough cl- clubs. There's not. There's no rivalries. There's no history. Clubs don't know each other also. They don't know each other, so they mm. don't care too much. I think there has to be more clubs in the Club World Cup, and I know it's going to change to 24 and eventually. And having more European clubs that people know, Having more maybe MLS clubs finally, right? Seattle Sounders are qualified to the next edition technically. Having more South American clubs. And then the other ones that we recognize less because we're not around in Asia and Africa. I think it'll be much more enjoyable. The current format, and I'm speaking this because my club has played the last two. uh, And it's not because they lost specifically. It wasn't as enjoyable or easy to get into it as it was in the Libertadores or the Brazilian Cup. I was more into those games in the Club World Cup. I don't know why. I think it's because of that. It just doesn't really seem highly competitive. It kind of seems like a summer friendly. It's because you were playing Chelsea in the final. It was too boring. And that That is a good argument, too. That is a Well, and, and so is Palmeiras, right? They both... Uh, and the year yeah. before, they didn't make the final. Um, no. Yeah. Adrian, what do you think? If you could, your creative juices flowing here and just make any change you want to the MLS All Star Game. I mean, that's tough because I I literally never think about the MLS All Star Game because it's just a novelty game that like it's it's very much a North American big sports thing. You know, you see it in the NHL. I think MLB has one as well, don't they? With like the skills competition and blah blah blah. So like. Filippo said it really is just like a you know sit back and enjoy don't take it too seriously like it doesn't prove anything to anyone um it's a friendly match I mean a one-off match doesn't prove superiority to begin with between two teams but it's also a friendly match so if they want to keep going I mean maybe you guys could speak to the numbers that they kind of pulled in from that game yep one thing to add to to add what Adrian said without I interrupt you guys way too much, but uh, also the MLS All Star Game and the Liga MX uh, All Star Game. Not necessarily both teams have the best players of the league. A lot of the players that are there are for popularity reasons. Just to make that clear too. Yeah, because there's a fan vote aspect, isn't there, is, to get into All Star Game? Uh, yeah. I'm yeah, pretty sure there is some players, but at the same time, I mean, it's also hugely unbalanced. Didn't yeah. Adrian Heath complain that he had like 10 strikers and like 10 midfielders? Yeah, because no one really pays attention to defenders. It's always about the yeah. attackers whenever it comes to a fan vote and stuff like that. So, Especially in MLS. Especially yeah. in MLS. But by the way, I, I'll say one thing that I did enjoy just from some of the viral videos is that goalkeeper wars. That was kind of interesting to watch. That needs um, to come back. Yeah, it, it was great. Put it back on TV. Yeah, put it back on TV. That was fun to watch. Watching goalkeepers just wire the ball at each other um (laughs) so look i think i was speaking to you guys about this earlier the way that chicharito sort of talked about this was about the skills competition in particular um and how you know some people sort of scoff at it blah 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 but it's just about the way you approach it you can take it for what it is it's just a fun little novelty sort of week that the mls has I think having the Liga Mekis aspect to it does add a bit of a competitive edge, but I think that everyone understands that it doesn't necessarily prove anything no matter who wins, you know? Yeah. So to answer your question, Manuel, would I change anything? I don't really care enough to change anything, but I like what they have now with sort of that building and activating the audience, as Filippo said, that audience in the USA um, to get people maybe watching MLS more, but I can't. I don't know if they would switch allegiances necessarily. No, but they would know that it exists, which is probably important. Um, I think my final thought too on the MLS All Star Game is 
I, I know this is also true for NHL. I'm not so sure if it's, I, I can't say for the other leagues, but it's also a huge opportunity for media to just talk to a lot of these stars. And it's so I think oftentimes these MLS All-Star games also don't just exist for fans, but they also actually exist too for, for these media outlets to come together and talk, network, and but also touch base with the clubs and the players. So I think this is a really important aspect of it. Um, I mean, we, we have the same kind of phenomena in Europe. Um, you know, the, 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 I was just in Germany for the, the DFL Super Cup, right? Which opens the, the season. And it is a glorified friendly in many ways, but it's also a very important day for the league to touch base with, with various media members around the world, um, for the clubs that also involved to, to touch base with media. And um, I think it's almost like a media day event as well. Uh, and I think, you know, like for the common fan, that's not something that is necessarily important. But I think for the media companies covering the respective leagues, I think it's a really important kind of mechanism to actually be in touch with the players and the, the clubs and et cetera. So I think this is also a reason why it exists. And I know in the NHL, that's a big reason. Like um, just because like, I follow that league really closely and I know some people that cover the league and for them, it's a huge opportunity to sort of go and have all these guys in one place and sort of like, you know, run content ideas and network. Um, so I think that's an aspect that's pretty important to keep in mind. Uh, guys, before we go, I know, Filippo, you wanted to talk a little bit about World Copa Libertadores, so the floor is yours. No, I didn't want to. just wanted just to touch bases since we always talk about every single, besides, I guess, Asia and Africa, the two confederations we don't mm -hmm. know too much. But UEFA, CONCACAF, and Comebol were always like touching upon them. And the Libertadores semifinals, again, three Brazilian clubs and one Argentine club has made it. And honestly, the only reason the Argentine club has made it is because it faced another club from Argentina. It's been like this for the past few seasons, especially post-COVID, how Brazil's completely started to dominate ever since Flamengo won the Libertadores pretty much. And Argentina went through an economic crisis. And right now it's been the past, what, the past two Libertadores were all Brazilian finals before that Flamengo won the Libertadores. Uh, the semifinals has been dominated. It, it almost seems like there's really not much competition down there. It's just something, a problem happening in Comebol. And we kind of see that a little bit in the national team level, right? It seems like the Brazil, Brazil used to struggle more. With better teams, Brazil used to struggle more, right? In Comebol. Now Brazil is good, but it looks like the gap has gotten bigger. And the semifinals will be Palmeiras and Atletico Paranaense on one side, Flamengo and Vélez Sarsfield on the other. I won't touch upon the games very much. I don't think people listening here care too much what happened. Maybe we'll talk about the games, maybe the final. Mm. Uh, I know Josh watched the Palmeiras game, and it was kind of very Libertadores-like, right, Josh? Red cards, a little bit of a fight uh, here and there. But overall, that's what I wanted to say. But Josh, anything you want to add? No, no, I just, uh, I mean, it, we were talking about the MLS All-Star game. I mean, I should care more that, about that than the than the Copa Libertadores, but I was switching back and forth just because for me, I mean, there's a lack of a competitive edge. And even with the Liga Max Evers MLS, I still was flipping back and forth. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was a, I mean, it was a tough watch. I'm not, not going to lie. Like that was an ugly match. <laughs> Parlamers went down, down to at 1.9 men. The, it was ended up, I think 10, 10 v 9. Palmeiras took a two shootout, won the shootout, entered, entertaining that way but all in all yeah that was a that was a gritty win but uh it's a competition i i quite enjoy watching but um, yeah palmeiras under abel ferreira just refuses to lose in the libertadores he's yet to it's his third libertadores and he never lost a, a knockout round never and filippo i think it's it's also important to note, and I'll let you speak on this a little bit more, that when we speak about the Argentina-Brazil rivalry, it was always you guys dominated at the international stage with all your World Cup wins, but Argentina typically at the club level was far more dominant in South America, but that's starting to change now, it seems like. It, so, it, it completely changed already, uh, yeah. but it's true. It is true. Up to the 2000s, uh, what would happen is Brazil, early 2000s, right? Brazil had five World Cups, Argentina had two, and it's still like that. But at the club level, Argentina was far more dominant. But in the mid-2000s, it started to balance out. But the past few four seasons or so, not just the Libertadores, the Copa Sudamericana too, 
at the club level, it's been all Brazil and Brazil has more money too, right? Been able to sign most of the successful players and like look at Palmeiras, for example, the 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 one of the best center backs in South America, the captain for Paraguay, plays for Palmeiras. Palmeiras signed the left back from Uruguay. Palme- the, the teams in uh, Flamengo has Vidal right now. Uh, the, they're able to sign all the, the top South American players and Argentina's not able to anymore. And you see that gap also in many other aspects, right? Facilities. The Brazilian clubs have some of the Brazilian clubs like Flamengo, Palmeiras. Um, they will have facilities at European level, right? Stadiums too. Uh, the stadiums used in the World Cup, the stadiums are at the level of many European nations. But when you go to other South American countries, it's not quite like that. So you see the gap in every aspect and it's more noticeable than ever and it's getting worse. I don't know if Common Ball will ever do something about it. Uh, it's getting far worse and uh, it's becoming... I don't think that's even good for Brazil, to be honest. It's, it really isn't. Anything else you guys want to add before we take a wrap? Because it's been 50 minutes. Anything else? Filippo? Adrian, Josh. No, I'm just happy that we're all back here regularly. That's all. <laughs> uh, yeah, nothing else to add. One thing that I can say about Argentina is thank you for Enzo Fernandez to Benfica. He has scored in every single competitive match so far as a central midfielder. So that's undoubtedly going to be the next player that one of you is going to be interviewing me about uh, for a, uh, a feature on Forbes or something, Manuel, I'm sure. Hmm. See where it goes next. Um Okay, Josh, anything from you? No, just good to be back, guys. Excited for a, a good season, and all five of the big major leagues come back this weekend, so uh, it, it should be fun. All right. I see Adrian Rabiot is uh, trending on Twitter, so time to go. Uh, Man United are about to mess up another transfer. So, yeah, guys, good to be back, and we'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, cheers. Cheers.